And you know what time it is? It is the final 2020 season episode of Plugged In the National Soccer Podcast. We didn't we didn't meet 20 episodes, but we got near episode 19 of Plugged In the National Soccer Podcast. I'm your co-host Drake Hills, alongside producer Nick, aka Nick Gray. What's up? There you are. There you Trying are. To get me to- yeah, I mean, I do. I wanted you to fit in, and of course, sure. for the first time, I think all season that we've been doing Zoom and and virtual podcasts. You have a face to the screen, my friend. Yes, the, you you are visually. Uh, you are my laptop impressive. is showing about a third of the screen, but that's all right. That's all you only even need to see that much of me, to be honest. You are visually present, and. That's good to see. But we've got some we've got some reviewing to do. You know, if uh, it's okay, we didn't get to twenty episodes. Nashville SC and MLS didn't get to thirty plus games this year. So, oh, here you go. The trolling begins. But anyway, so this episode is going to be obviously a review of the twenty twenty MLS season for Nashville SC. It's inaugural one, a quite successful one by not just Nashville standards, but I think and believe MLS standards. Now, of course, there are some cons, but we'll be talking about the pros, some of the numbers that stand out on, on, on in terms of ranking Nashville SC amongst the fellow MLS clubs this season. But I think before we should get to that, MLS Cup is this weekend, and your beloved Columbus crew are going to be without some of the players that helped beat Nashville SC in the conference semifinal just a couple of weeks ago. Well, I'm sure Nashville SC fans would understand how important Darlington Nagby and Pedro Santos are to the to what Columbus is trying to do. Considering uh, that, considering that Darlington Nagby pretty much had his way for the most part, I think yeah. the loss of Anibal Godoy was certainly noticed. I mean, Nashville wasn't having trouble defending by any stretch, but they were I don't having think trouble. That's a broad control. statement, though. That's a broad and, statement, and, though. Sure. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. It wasn't. It it would if it was in August and they were trying to get to a zero zero draw. They played well enough to do that. But what they had to do was win the game. And given all of that that they had to that they had to deal with without Anibal Godoy and the control of the game that they didn't have, I think that's what you're talking about there. Well, the point that I want to make is that Darlington Nagby hardly had. A lot of a contest in terms of folks knocking him off the ball. Anibal Godoy is a player who will do that, who will be a pest, who's strong. I think Anibal Godoy is a lot taller than maybe some people believe if you haven't necessarily been to games, if you haven't watched him in person, if you haven't covered him. He's a lot taller, he's a lot stronger than many people think, and he's a lot more physical than many people think. Now, of course, Brian Anunga is a physical number six as well, but he certainly wasn't able to keep up uh, and be at the level of Darlington Nagby. I think we saw that in the conference semifinal a couple of weeks ago. But also Pedro Santos scoring two goals against this national side once, uh, obviously, in phase two of the regular season. And then again, he scored the first goal in extra time before Zardes made it 2-0 and bumped Nashville SC out. But that's not what we're talking about here. No, it's not. Darlington Nagby and Pedro Santos will be out for MLS Cup as there have been reports – Shout out to Jacob Myers at the Columbus Dispatch, our Gannett family, that the COVID-19 virus has struck again. And in less than two weeks, Columbus crew has been struck by the COVID-19 virus. Obviously, Derek Etienne, some other players uh, were not available for Columbus crew against Nashville. Now, two players that were pivotal to Columbus's win over Nashville and obviously help them get the one nil win over New England will not be an MLS cup for what it seems to be the final match at Matt free before they move to the arena district in their new soccer stadium. The, the final, the final playoff match in Matt free stadium, the final playoff, they're, match, they're going to do similar to what DC United did and play a little bit of next year, depending on when that, I mean, if, yeah, if we'll see. we don't, some, we don't know when 2021 is going to begin anything like that, that, that could change, but Couple things about that. Number one, I think I saw. I'm not sure if it was Jacob or somebody else talking about how, like in the last month or so, 33% of the first team for the crew 
have uh, te- either tested positive or been contract traced out of playing a game. That's pretty rough for a team that yeah. has been probably more on the quiet side. I, we, I think they were certainly a highlight of the MLS's back tournament. They didn't lose, <laughs> and they scored a lot of goals. They did. And they also did not concede a goal during that. And MLS's a lot of part tournament. of that, number one, is Nagby behind, but it's also Pedro Santos giving balance to the attack. Right. Uh, you, when you have to deal with Zellerayon and Zardes through the middle, and then you also have to deal with Diaz and Santos on either side or Etienne and Santos on either side. That makes things difficult for teams to, to zone in on things. You just have to hope that one or the other is um, out of out of form. And especially in that MLS's back tournament until they faced Minnesota, neither team, neither nobody was out of form, it seemed like, especially yeah. Gazi's artists. Yeah, so that, that was the that was the one game obviously that they conceded a goal, hence them losing. But I I truly believe that Columbus Crew was a team that flew under the radar during the regular season. Aside from barring their poor October run, that I think was probably one of the worst in the league when they lost to Cincinnati, I believe they lost to DC. They yes. had some tough clashes against NYCFC. They had a pretty rough October and it was quite documented. But let's let's get back to obviously Nashville SC. That's what we really need to talk about here. So MLS Cup will be MLS Cup. They're going up against Seattle Sounders on Saturday, 7 Central on Fox, Big Fox. But Nashville SC is entering a week where they're going through, obviously, Austin FC going into the expansion draft. We'll see who Nashville SC protect and do not protect in that draft. Obviously, reentry will follow. Uh, free agency and waivers. You've got all of those off-season transactional events. But the season of itself. It. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. But the season of itself, what a tremendous run for a team that was quite clear, that was unable to score goals from the jump and not even score goals, but to score goals that were, in my opinion, were quite simple, you know, sitters at some point, you know, going back to September, early September, when they went down to enter Miami, yes, of course, they had the, the rain delay. It wasn't the huge rain delay that happened in FC Dallas, but it was a rain delay nonetheless. And you had the Dan Lovett sitter on the breakaway. You had s- several sitters in the first half and it, was the epitome of Nashville SC's struggle to actually put a foot on the ball in the final third after doing so much defending, having a spectacular midfield, both on the wings and most certainly in the center. Nashville SC went on a tear at the end of the season. You go into October, well, let's start with mid-September when they put four goals on Atlanta United. Obviously, the weight of that game has probably been lessened because Atlanta United was a farce this year. But putting four goals on Atlanta United was the start of something new. You saw it was, with, it was basically like you had to see that you could do it before exactly. you continue to do it. Right? It was a confidence booster. And right. you go into October, you put three goals on FC Dallas, which is uh, a team that is a bracket buster, to say the least. We saw what happened against you know teams like Portland. I think. You know, other teams, I think FC Dallas is just, just going to be that team that no one wants to play. They are the Western Conference version of Nashville SC. They're just very young, but they're very talented. And, you know, Nashville, they put three goals on Dallas. And they go into, they go into places like Sporting Kansas City. Yes, they lost that game, had a pretty poor second half. But had one of the, one of the best performances against a top side in the first half. And you started seeing these signs from Nashville. You started seeing, I mean, let's just go down just the schedule here. Because, again, that was a pretty rough patch. And that was also, you know, that was also in a, in a situation where, you know, Nashville SC had a pretty had a pretty rough road stint, right? So they go to Sporting Kansas City. They had a great half. They lost 2-1. But they turn around in three days and they have a team 
in Houston that was pretty strong at that point in time and probably had one of their best offensive showings this season. 3-1, Hani Mukhtar, I think, has one of his best games of the season before coming off anyway uh, with what we found out was an injury, but he had one of his best performances in the first half. Then you have Jandra Cadiz making his debut. Arguably one of the best performances, 3-1 against Houston. Then the, the Dallas game, as we mentioned. And again, so going further down the season, you have New England. That was a 1-1 draw. Montreal, that was a 1-0 draw. Chicago was tough. You can't that have was a 1-0 draw. Drake, you can't I have mean, a 1-1, 1-0 win, excuse me. 1-0, 1-0 win. And then you had the 1-1 draw against Chicago. But then going into the latter end of the season, yes, that was an FC Dallas team. You know, you lose at home 1-0. I think you have to give Nashville a, a, a pass there, just given the schedule. Take a look at how tough Chicago was playing at that time. They were at they're in their best form, vying for a playoff spot. You had, obviously, tough teams going up against New England. You had FC Dallas just a couple of weeks ago. You had to go to Red Bull Arena to face Montreal. And then you have probably, I think, on decision day was the reason I think the, the, the turning point for people to think that Nashville SC was going to be a problem in the MLS Cup playoffs, which was the 3-2 win against Orlando. Being able to come back twice. Daryl DK, Chris Cashmuller, you know, Mueller did not score, but he was pivotal in pretty much the entire game. 90s free kick is still controversial, right? It, it was supposed to be indirect. The ref says that it touched somebody before it went in. It was hard to see in review. <laughs> but it, there was a reason why it was hard to see, Drake. And why is that? I'll leave that to the, to the listener. Okay. Well, anyway. The point that I remember is that Nashville C doesn't happen. Sorry, go ahead. The point the point that I remember is that Nashville C came back against a team that has not lost at home in the entire 2020 season. Pandemic or no pandemic, Orlando City had one of the best, if not the best, home record in MLS and was one of the toughest teams to play. Nashville C goes in, gets the win on the road on decision day, and solidifies their number seven spot in MLS Cup playoffs. Now Genre Cadiz, I think we saw some some pretty good moments. I think in MLS Cup playoffs, he did not perform well. But decision day was arguably one of his best games. Goal scored or not goal scored. Obviously, he had the game-winning goal. But for a player who was signed, I would argue, probably for more of the 2021 season, he did pretty well. Think about these numbers, though. Just take a look at the season that Nashville C has had. Expected goals against. We all know that Nashville C was built from the middle in the spine. It was built with Walker Zimmerman, Dave Romney, Dax McCarty, Anibal Godoy. Those are your central defenders and your central midfielders. Take a look at the expected goals against for this Nashville C team. 25.4 expected goals. There are only two teams in all of MLS that had a better rate. That was Toronto with 25.2 expected goals and what is likely to be the MLS Cup champion once again and a repeat in Seattle Sounders with a 20.9 expected goals against rate. That's pretty good company for Nashville SC. You have third best expected goals against in all, in all of MLS in your first season. So it means that all you really need is a striker. Minimal production from your offense. Which they ended, like you said, they ended up getting towards the end of the year, and that's really all they needed. One stretch of of multi goal games to get them to feel to to not only make the playoffs but make it comfortably without having to worry about it in the final week. And plus two goal differential. So sure, they're not scoring enough, but the way that they play, they bank on not conceding enough. And that's how they got all those draws. So let's take a look at the actual record here, right? I have a question for you. You go eight, you go, hold on. You go eight, eight and seven. Yeah. Or, or by MLS record standards, because they put the loss in the middle, you go eight, seven and eight. So eight, eight wins, seven losses, eight draws. What's your question? I had, 
and it's more of a thesis on my point, my, on my part, but you, you think that this team most likely goes in a full season, doesn't revert back to basically scoring three quarters of a goal per game or less, like it did in the first 10 games or so. And you, you play this, this out with another, what, eight games, 10 games, and 12 games, 12 or 13 games. Don't you think that this, when you play it out even longer into a full MLS season, that, that this team really represents more, more or less a league slightly below average or league average goals for production? Because I, I think it gets closer. And I think once you find who find out, get Don, Daniel Rios and Yonder Cadiz not only involved, but, you know, I don't know about Cadiz because you got you bring him in in October, November, that probably in a regular MLS season, who knows what that means. But Don, Daniel Rios gets a little bit more involved and, and has 10 or 12 more games to pad his his goal total. And Hani Mukhtar and Rondalial were definitely getting more comfortable with playing forward, the ball on their feet, understanding angles and understanding how defenses were playing against them. I Don't you think that they at least get too close to league average in terms of goal production over a full season? Well, so you're saying they, they go close, they get closer to it is what you're saying. Yes, I'm not saying they're going to score, what, 72 goals in a 36-game season, but I do think that Oh, certainly not. I mean, I think in the first episode. Scoring 24 and 23, maybe they score 45 and 36 or thereabouts. So and that was that was actually near the ballpark of where I had – that was in the ballpark of right. where I had them in, in our first episode. We talked about that, yeah. How many goals do they need to score to – Make the playoffs. Into the playoff contention. And what, I think 50 is what we decided would have been great. Yeah, I would think that was somewhere around the 45 ballpark. to 50 range. And, of course, if you don't have – the August that you have, because think about it, August in a normal year, you know, you're probably you're, you're, you're probably at the tipping point, if not kind of on a decrescendo after right. after, you know, being at the pinnacle in June and July. You know, injuries start to set in. You have guys who, you know, are maybe coming back from international play who are, you know, you, you start to have you know, maybe there's trades going on you, you're bringing in new guys as you mentioned in the transfer window mls window and you start figuring out these tiers who who's who's comfortably in the playoffs who's exactly fighting for the top three seeds who's fighting for the bottom three seeds who's trying to think about what's what, what's happening next year so for nashville you have a you have one you have pretty much a goal per game you have 1.04 uh goals per game yet obviously one of the lowest in Average goals conceded in in point nine six goals. I think you sir. I I would agree with that. To answer your question, I would agree that for this team, and think about it, you have three players who, or excuse me, two players. You had Rios and you had Mukhtar, both with four goals, and obviously Rio. I mean, uh, excuse me, Leal is not far behind. You, Obviously, Cadiz is not far behind. I certainly, I certainly agree with that. Now, do I think that they're far above average? No, but I, do I think they're on oh. average? Do I think they're on average? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, take a look and at when something. you had. Go ahead. When you had the third best defense. You don't really need to be. You don't need to score seventy-five goals when you're only giving up forty or or so. You know, you don't need the thirty-five goal differential to be. Jesus, who who would it have been now? You know, Philadelphia had led the league with a plus twenty four goal differential in twenty three games. You know, you don't need to go seventy five four or forty against to to be a contender in in this MLS. I mean, especially for if you look at the league average, right? So you've got a little over one and a half goals scored. You got one point six four goals scored per game for clubs for clubs at home. That's very. Cincinnati scored twelve goals. That's Horrible. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. I, I'm just realizing this. Cincinnati, we didn't have to worry about Cincinnati all year because they didn't. Uh, 
I had, I, I, oh my goodness. The fact that they got 16 points out of 12 goals is hilarious. Sorry, go ahead. So for Nashville scoring, you've got one and a quarter, 1.27 goals per game at home, average at home. That's Nashville's average. The league average is 1.64. You look at on the road. So Nashville, you're scoring around 0.83 goals per game, right? So we, we all know how Nashville is going to play at. They're going to be stubborn. They're going to be compact. They're going to be quite stringent and quite stubborn in the back. Quite structured. Structured, yes. The average is 1.22. And to think about some of the other teams that have probably met that, you're talking Real Salt Lake. You're talking at least let's just stick to the Eastern Conference anyway. You know, you've got even at Atlanta United actually did quite well in that category. Columbus was around average 1.17. Colorado, excuse me, we're staying in the Eastern Conference. Um, D.C. United, actually. Um, so, look, that's not to say that, you know, one team is better than the other. But it is to say that Nashville C certainly had the power and probably will have the power to be an average scoring team in 2021. I think with a full season for Randall Leal and Hani Mukhtar, we still don't know what we're going to get with John Cadiz. No, that's in true. a full, in a full preseason, I think he deserves that. He also, cause think about it. A guy who obviously, as we see, as we, we've seen him in the flesh now, he's not yeah. the slender. We talked about this off air as well. He's not yes, the slender yeah. athletic kind of like slim guy that Daniel Rios is. Even other strikers, a little bit more of a athletic wide receiver build of Dominique Baji. Cadiz isn't like that. He's more of like a tight end in a way. He's got he's got a lot more strength. He's got a lot more horsepower, I would say. And he's certainly closer to Baji than he is to Rios. But Cadiz, he he's his game, and we see that. If you don't go watch the Columbus game again. In the playoffs, yeah. the amount of times that he would try to try to drift over if the ball was played out wide to Leal and Leal wanted to play a one-two, and instead of so so once Leal played the ball and Cadiz was holding up his man, whether it was Williams, whether it was Jonathan Mensa, he would hold them up, and once he saw that Leal collected the ball, as soon as Leal looked as if he was going to play it to Cadiz, Cadiz could, took off. He tried to make a run because that's his preference. That's his game. We saw and it in Toronto. We saw it in Toronto as well. The, uh, the offside trap happened so, so many times. But that's his game, and I think that yeah. Leal and I think that Leal and Mukhtar and also Muil, although Muil is not going to try to make that, make that one too, um, he's not going to make that give and go. That's not his game. But especially for Leal, someone who – has showed promise in terms of cohesion and chemistry with Cadiz, they need to get on the same page because Cadiz is not going to be the one like Rios who is simply going to hold up the ball traditionally and then give it back to you and then go make his run. He wants to, Cadiz wants to hold his man up. If he does collect the ball, he's going to play a back pass. He's not going to play a positive pass, but he wants to get in a position to where he can catch his man in a position where he hooks him, he plays the ball back out wide, and he wants to have a foot race with you, and you play the ball down the flank, he go chases it down. Next thing you know, he's on a one-on-one. -on -one. Everyone's running behind him trying to play catch-up. He's on a one-on-one -on -one with the defender. He beats the defender, and he strikes the goal. That's his game. If you don't know, look at his highlights with Dijon. Look at his highlights with the Portuguese teams that he's played for. So, I again – I think that we need to go and give Cadiz a preseason to get on the same page with Mukhtar, with Liao, with Wynn, or even David Akam, and allow him to develop. But at least for your question, your original question, I certainly do think that Randall Liao especially, who arguably was the best attacking player for Nashville, bar none, Yes, yeah. yes, Rio scored more. Yes, Mukhtar scored more. But it's clear to me that Randall Leal 
is the most valuable attacker in this side. As far as creativity goes, as far as chances goes, sure. Most shots on goal, most total shots, the best technical player on the ball. Yeah, no, I, I don't I don't disagree with you there. And you know, I, I have questions about the differences between Rios and and Yonder Cadiz. How how difficult do you think it's going to be for a team? And, and obviously now they're going to have hopefully a full off-season, preseason training to uh, as as much as you can, I guess, in the in this time time period <laughs> to 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 have a full preseason training to figure these things out. Given that the two strikers in your first choice, you know, that you're choosing from in your first team are different that in that kind of way, even though they are, you know, physically similar ish with a little bit of difference, obviously, but the way that they play is different. Do you think that's going to make it more difficult for the, for the team to adapt? You know, I guess, I guess the thought is going to be eventually, you know, one, one of the guys is going to be more cohesive with the team than the other. And that's going to bring begat production, which is going to begat more opportunity. Do you think yes. that's going to be? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so what's 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 your what's your thesis? My, my thought my thought just is, you know, eventually we're going to find out who fits better, right? Yeah, and I think that's fair. Rios or Cadiz. I don't think both of them can play can start fifteen matches each next year, and you hope that the team adapts to what they do, you know, since there are different forwards and a lot of what they're going to try to do is going to be centered around getting those guys opportunities that, that playing differently. I mean, obviously they're pros and they can do it. I mean, I'm not doubting that at all, but. Well, I vouch for them two to play together. It's just the fact that everyone knows that Gary Smith's system is not tough to do. Two, it's not a two striker system. Not, it's t- it's t- not on deep, not by default. It's tough to assume that Daniel Rios is going to – would you rather have Daniel Rios tucking in behind Cadiz or would you rather have Hani Mutar playing forward more and tucking behind Cadiz? I think that's an easy answer. No, I don't think so. I, I know, it's, I know it's not that simple, but I think it's an easy answer. I don't think Mukhtar is a second striker type of player. I think I don't like, think he is either, but Randall you have Leal. to have somebody play behind the striker. Randall Leal is a second striker. He can be a second striker. He's more of a – capable second striker than Hani Mukhtar is not because Hani Mukhtar is not, doesn't have the skill, but his style does not fit that. And I, I think, just think it's going to be very interesting. This, this soft, this, you know, the preseason coming forward, which that's going to be one of my big questions for next year is which one of the two, you know, does the team adapt to quicker, quicker. And cause I, I do hope that both kind of, yeah, you wipe the slates clean. Would you? Who would you say would have an edge going into next year? Who do you think they're going to try to find? Rios has the edge. Okay, he knows the system. Sure, he has the chemistry. He also fits more of what Gary wants from a traditional number nine. He wants you to be on the end of service from out wide because they want to play the ball up the spine, build from the back. They want to find McCarty. McCarty finds Leal or Mukhtar or Wynn, likely, you know, to play the ball. So Wynn, uh, not Wynn, uh, Muil. Bye-bye. So so long. Which reminds me, we need to get to the roster decisions in this podcast. Sure. We'll get there. uh, Alex Muil, okay? One of those guys, or sometimes as we saw later in the season – Alistair Johnson, Dan Lovett's getting forward, especially Alistair Johnson, who has improved with his service into the box, finding Rios in the middle from wide. That's the system. You build up the spine through the first lines. You break the third line, and you find somebody on a run down the flank who plays the ball into Rios. Or you find Rios on the holdup play, and you allow Leal to run, you allow Mukhtar to run, 
more likely Liao. And you try to find something on the break. I think Rios is more like that. And to my previous point, Cadiz wants to be the one to run. He wants to be the one that gets the ball in behind to beat his center back. So I certainly think that the... And then you, you say that, obviously, but who started the games in the playoffs? I'm not disagreeing. Well, why, why would you? Why would you? Why, why would you not start Cadiz after signing the guy? So he hasn't then, been in so shape. When, so when does? So when? I guess. And this is again more you know thinking about. Next and keep year, in mind. Keep in mind before you be. before you go before you go forward with with your point. Keep yeah. in mind, Daniel Rios. We don't know how healthy he was in the last game, but we do know going into that game he was not a hundred percent healthy. Okay. Against, in that in the win against Toronto. And prior, he was still ish, he was still injuring his or injuring he was still dealing with that groin injury that he had problems with since the Houston game back in September. The first game at Nissan Stadium when he came off early, he had the groin injury that never went away one hundred percent completely. That's fair, and so that pays a plays a part in it as well. But going back to my point, if you sign a guy as a DP, number sure. nine, he wasn't in shape to begin with. His touch was off. He had to handle both in training during the you know end of September, beginning of October. He finally makes his debut in mid-October. So you've got what? Go back to the schedule. You debut against Houston. Four five games, yeah. You debut against Houston. You played – you know, you came on what? And I think it was about. I think it was around the seventy fifth. Yes. Come on, the seventy fifth minute. You have what? Six, three, four, six five season games. Exactly. Plus, and most of those were, you know, what he started. You know, he he didn't play a ton of minutes until. Was it? Uh, you know, he was still coming off the bench against Chicago. Did he? He really didn't play a ton of minutes throughout all of that. So I guess you you, you do feel like he had to, you know, he was coming off the bench a lot. Exactly. So way, since his debut, since his debut, yes. He did he doubled his minutes from usually around 20 to 25 minutes. Sure. He worked his way up to 30 minutes against Chicago and obviously played two, you know, 45 minute stints against Dallas and Orlando. That was in the regular season. Obviously, he started the game uh against Toronto. He started that. He came off early. He was pretty ticked off about that. Didn't have the best performance. Obviously, we know about the offsides. So why not? My point is, why not start him? He needs the chance to settle. So I think that's a that's a you know a key there. Sure. I just think he has to prove to you know obviously the Nashville SC staff, but I. I it's not obvious yet that he should be the first choice going into next year, which I think it isn't. It is not. I guess it shouldn't be surprising. Again, you said he didn't have a ton of time to, to, to go, to make make his mark on this year, and you know, given all the circumstances coming in during this kind of year, and not getting a ton of playing time until oh yes, the playoffs, which you have to score because you have to score because you have to win games. It's a whole different kind of pressure, a whole different kind of game. To, to, to get acclimated to. So I understand that, but that's just me thinking towards next year. The biggest thing is going to be, is Yonder Cadiz going to overtake everybody and, and take a good portion of the attack, you know, the, a good portion of the striker minutes. But I guess that's a 2021 preview question more than a 2020 review question. Let's get to those roster moves though. Mr. Greg Hill. Let's get to the roster moves. I think the biggest one, well, I don't think there's really one that stands out, to be honest with you. It's more bottom bottom third of the roster churn, more more so, right? Yeah, I mean, you you, you don't, you know, you you don't bring back uh, Tanner Diederich. You don't bring back, you know, Alan Wynn. I think some of those guys – as you said, are kind of bottom of the barrel. The big thing, if I will say, if there were, if there was to be one, it would be considering the fact that Eric Miller is currently out of contract, though they are in you know negotiations to bring him back. 
So the players who are out of contract, Brian Beckelis, Tanner Diederich, Ken Tribbett, and Alan Wynn, and then obviously we know Cameron Lancaster signed his permanent deal with Lou City. Eric Miller is still out of contract, but negotiations are obviously ongoing right now. That that was the latest uh, from last week. But they exercised options from Elliot Panico, Giuliani Baba, obviously Alistair Johnston, Brian Anunga, Handwala Buana, Matt Lagrassa, Luke Hawkinson, who had a very good loan spell with Charlotte Independence. Um, and as well as you know, Taylor Washington, Don Baji, Abu Danladi, and Daniel Rios. So th- those are your those are the the contracts that have been exercised. And obviously, you know, 15 of those players on the roster had 2021 guaranteed contracts. So that's Brady Scott, who was you know brought in from, from FC Kun and Germany was on loan at Sacramento at the end of the season. You know, Dan Lovitz, Miguel Nazarit, who has yet to make his debut. Uh, young Colombian center back, Walker Zimmerman, Jack Mayer, Anibal Godoy, Randall Leal, Dax McCarty, Ani Mukhtar, Alex Muil, Derek Jones, David Akam, and John Cadiz. So those are your 15 players who have guaranteed contracts for 2021. And then, of course, Joe Willis and Dave Romney, you know, they had contracts extended for 2021. So they joined Walker Zimmerman with, you know, those who have, who have signed an extension and that probably means that they are here for much longer than just 2021. They'll probably be here. Um, you know, obviously, Walker Zimmerman's has, you know, plus a team option through 2024. Right. Um, I, I can't see Dave <laughs> Romney and Joe Willis not having similar contracts in terms of length and longevity. If I were to pick, obviously, I picked Eric Miller as, as something that stands out because, yes, he came in as a starting right back. Um, as he didn't as actually the starting right back though he did not finish. But you know what? And I think for listeners don't know this, but I spoke with Gary Smith after the season. They signed Brand Beckless to be their starting right back. When they signed Brand, they expected him to be the outright starting right back. So regardless of what you know and what you might have guessed, you know your bias going into preseason and in the beginning of the season. Brian Beckles was the targeted starting right back for Nashville FC. So as much or lack thereof that you have seen from Brian this season, he came in with the with the club intentions of having Brian being the starting right back, which was when I talked to Smith about that, that was actually quite a surprise. Because yes, he has the, you know, he has the Honduras you know, national team experience. He's played at Liga Emekis. Now he's he he he's been at the top level and probably a higher domestic level. I would argue, um, playing with Naja in in Mexico, playing against some of the best teams on the continent in in Concacaf. So, yes, that's the case. But I always saw Eric Miller as being the starter. But it turns out, Alistair Johnson beat both of them. Right. Youth always wins out, doesn't it? Well, I don't know about all that. But let me ask you this. Does Alistair Johnston become a long-term option at right back for Nashville C? And with Brand being let go, most likely, and then obviously Eric Miller kind of not knowing what happens with him, do they sign another fullback? Does Nashville C sign another fullback? I think almost certainly they do. A starting level fullback? <sighs> that's, the, that's the question, right? I, I don't think it would hurt because while I think the work rate of Alistair Johnson is excellent and he does a lot of good things on the defensive side of the pitch, he's still refining his, his attacking skill, his skills with the ball at his feet, the skills in the, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, offensive half of the, uh, of the pitch. So that can be something. And as again, he's a younger, younger guy. So, you're probably not going to, and maybe you do, maybe you don't, but you're not assuming that he's going to be able to put together a 30 game starting camp, uh, 30 starts next year at the same level with more production, which is probably what you need, honestly, from him in terms of product producing opportunities from 
from his fullback spot from that spot there. And I, I would think that if you're looking at weaker parts of the roster, parts of, of the roster where if you want to boost the, the starting 11, that's probably one of the first places you start, right? So uh, I think, I think, I don't think you go into the offseason saying, if we don't get a right back, we're not going to be successful in improving the team this offseason. But what you can do is identify some of the, the, the players out there that are reasonable, that are reasonable to add and that fit the, the formation and what they're trying to do and also have a little bit more production from a chances created standpoint and, and do and find that guy and find someone who's done it for more than a truncated season and at least make him compete with Alistair Johnson, a la what, you know, ha- happened <laughs> this year. Because, you know, despite Brian Beckless and Eric Miller, they probably didn't think they were competing against Alistair Johnson in February. You know what they ended up doing throughout the rest of the year? Competed with Alistair Johnson and got their butts whipped by Alistair Johnson in a minutes played standpoint. So, and even as late as the first couple of games no of the season, first choice at that position, no doubt. Even 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 as late as the first couple of games of the season, obviously they only played two, but that didn't. This didn't really happen until did he make the, the, dead the first eighteen in either one of those first matches? I know for sure he did not on the first game. I I would doubt that he made it on the second game because keep in mind Jimmy Madronda was still in the plans. Oh, yes. Jimmy Madronda was still in the plans before he went to Seattle. Um, he he, did not came, he played. He came. He came on. Jimmy Madronda came on and played against Portland. So right. you know you had you had Eric Miller as your right back. You had Brian Beckless on the bench, and you know for a team like Nashville, who probably has a a good, I would argue that they have a lot more youth coming up than maybe people might expect. You know, in, oh, yeah. in, in terms of you know we obviously Jack Jack Mayer can play as a fullback, but he's a He's a traditional center back. And, you know, let's see. I believe he had two starts out of three. He, he, so he, play, he, had two, he had two starts. He played in three matches. He's certainly a promise. You take a look at guys who, you know, some going up the field, which I think we should probably talk about the loan spell guys. Tanner Dieter, as we know, had his option, to, had his contract, you know, not extended. He had his contract declined for 2021. He scored two goals for Chattanooga Red Wolves in League One USL last year or last season. 12, 12 games he played. He scored two goals. But in my opinion, the one who developed the most is Luke Hawkinson with Charlotte Independence. Three goals, three assists, 16 games played for Charlotte Independence. That's a team that was not necessarily one of the best in USL, certainly wasn't one of the worst either. He competed. He got in there. He started games, and he was scoring goals. And at the left wing position, he could even play in the midfield. You know, they played him as an eight sometimes. I think he's a guy who will probably get a chance to compete for some minutes this year. Um, Now, will he be in the 18? Ah, I don't see him. Being in the 18, but I will say he will be a sporadic player. I do predict him being a sporadic player. I think he's a player that people need to watch for 2021. But just reviewing his 2020, I would argue he played quite well. Um, Brady Scott, obviously, people don't know much about him because he came later in the season, only trained a couple of times before he went over to Sacramento, played in two games, conceded four goals and goal. Uh, he's a young, promising player. They think he's one for the future. Obviously, Joe Willis is in his 30s now. So, you know, obviously for goalkeepers, they have a lot longer life in, in, as a starter. But for what's been going on, you still have Elliot Panico, who was arguably the best goalkeeper in college soccer in 2019. They still have him as well. It's, I think you're pretty – I think Matt Pickens is chilling in, in terms of goalkeepers for uh, 2021. So, Nick, if I had to ask you, as we wrap up this episode, what was your favorite moment for Nashville SC in 2020? What would it be? 
Uh, I think without question. Uh, so what the contenders here are the goal by Walker. Well, first off, basically the entire pregame leading up to the Atlanta United opener, you're thinking the Walker Zimmerman goal, which was, which was fun. And that was, you know, when we talked about in the first episode, all, all I said was, I hope they score a goal. And that's all that first game for that to be a success. And I think people will remember that for a while. Um, obviously, the the, or, the finish the Orlando game to end the year is up there. Um, Daniel Rios putting oh I cannot remember the fullback's name. Rios Ziegler. Yes, the Swiss, him, the Swiss man. Yeah, splattering him all in a blender on stadium turf is fun. But I think I have to go with Daniel Rios against Toronto. In uh, in uh, in the uh, co- the conference in the first round game in the playoffs. I mean that goal was. I think for any fan of Nashville SC, that was the most nervous you had been, and the most on edge you had been the entire entire year was that extra time period against against Toronto, and and hoping that you could. Beat a team that a lot of good teams over the last three or four years have not been able to beat. A lot of experienced and and and, and teams that have accomplished a lot over the last four years didn't accomplish beating Toronto in the Eastern Conference playoffs. And Nashville did that second playoff game in and, and pretty well had their way with them. And uh given all the frustration and all that, that was the most exciting moment for me in the 2020 season was the Daniel Rios goal and extra time to send Nashville to Columbus and the conference semifinals. It's a tough, it's a tough choice. You know, know, the sensationalism, I'm not going to fall for that though. Oh no. I'm not going to fall for the sensationalism of Rios rebounder. Uh, beating Quinton Westenberg for the game-winning goal against Toronto. I'm actually going to go for the Orlando City game on decision day because, to me, that's the epitome of Nashville SC's statement to not just us in the media but also other teams, other players who put this expectation on Nashville that they're going to be okay. They're going to be fair to deal with. They're going to be a team that is going to be hard to score goals against, but we're not going to feel threatened when they step on the field. And this, this, this notion that Nashville was going to have a red shirt year was from the beginning. So I would say the best moment for me, and I was actually kind of ticked off that I wasn't able to go because I was actually looking forward to covering, uh, or explore you. That was the best moment, best national seed moment for me. 3-2, double comeback against Orlando City on decision day. Jean-Luc Cadiz scores arguably his his highlight goal of his half season. And Nashville Seed goes into the playoffs with a spot that would have been a playoff spot last year even. See, folks, when you, you hear that, when he says sensationalism, what he means is I'm going to pick a game that matters not one bit to the standings or to the playoffs. What? And does not have any excitement around it for a long-term impact whatsoever. How does that not have any excitement for a long-term impact? Well, it, uh, you're comparing a game a rather you're you're comparing you're cho- you chose the last win of the season. Well, against a team that you don't wasn't think even, Kansas City Chiefs fans would have picked the uh, Super Bowl game as their favorite game of the 2019. They won the Super Bowl. Yeah, they did. They won the Super they did. Bowl. They did not win. They did not win the wild card game and then lost in the divisional round. That's not the case here. So, isn't your favorite? But to to do it the way that they did is what I'm saying. 
the the game that I'm picking has bigger implications than just getting into the playoffs and having a seven. Being seat. Toronto, a team nobody in the East could beat for the last four years. What are you talking about, Toronto? Look at Tor- time, Nick. Look Come at on. Toronto, Nick. Look at Toronto in October in the playoffs, Drake. Look at Toronto, Toronto in the playoffs was hard to beat for a lot of for a lot of teams. Yeah, but we're talking about this season. We're talking about 2020 against a Toronto team that was away from home, even though they were supposed to be at home. Their MVP, the Landon Donovan MLS MVP, had his worst game of the season. Well, whose fault is that? Who 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 coached that out of him? I bet it wasn't you think, on his you, own form. I bet it was. I bet you it wasn't one hundred percent. Nashville SC. Keyword keyword helped. It wasn't solely Nashville SC's doing. I guarantee you that his form was drooping anyway. Castellanos and NYCFC was giving them problems. Philadelphia Union was, you know, problematic. They were obviously going to say that they were in for the supporter shield. Do I think that they were going to win the supporter shield? No. No, no, that team was. I'm not saying that team was completely poor form like Columbus Crew October form, but they certainly were not the team that everybody's trying to say, Oh, 2017, oh, 2019. No, we're talking, if we're about, talking about this team, form, by the way. What did Orlando do after that game? Okay, that was a farce. Did a loss to New York City FC. You know, that was a farce. God bless <laughs> that they didn't. <laughs> and then got absolutely steamrolled by a New England Revolution team that looked rather lifeless in Moffrey Stadium a week later. So, thank well, you. First of all, that, you can't don't <laughs> Metro Boomin does not trust Bruce Arena, so why should I? True, true. He is I, New England Revolution's tactics are as close to to Nashville as it gets in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> You can throw in Columbus in there as well, but Columbus has the better players out of all of them, obviously. So the fact of the matter is the game on decision day, the vanity points you to this is the team that's going into the playoffs. This is a team that has the seventh seed. It wasn't about just that. That was only a part of it. The game in the comeback win against Orlando epitomized Nashville I'm going back to my original statement epitomized Nashville's response to a league that boxed them in like some court some Nike Cortez classic sneakers you try to box them in into the traditional orange shoe box that everyone thinks is the exact same and Nashville said nope we are not the same MLS expansion team that you've seen with Minnesota that you've seen with Cincinnati that you've seen with you don't think they did that when they made the playoffs games before that no okay well because 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 <laughs> think about think about think about what had to be done Dallas had to beat Miami Orlando had to beat Atlanta right they yeah. could have didn't what did what they that. didn't 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 they have the chance to to solidify things if you go back to the season you look at the schedule. Look at the schedule. Go to, I, I go to Chi- what you're saying. Go, go to the Chicago game. Right now, you're arguing. Go to the Chicago the game. Excitement of the Toronto FC finish. I'm not a fan, though. That's why. Ooh, that's true. I'm not a fan either. But go back. But go back to. Go back to the Chicago game. Did they not have a chance in that no, game right. to put right. to to put it away? You're and right. they and 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 guess what? They did because they went up, right? You're right. They I were in the you. they were in the driver's seat. And so for me, when they clinched was great. It was historical, right? Six team, six MLS expansion team to do it in their first year. But the Orlando City game had implications lasting the entire season. It was a it was a season-long response to the brand that they were given to begin the season, the brand that they were, that they were given in August. And quite frankly, the brand that they were given until they started creating problems against Orlando on decision day. That's the reason why I chose it. All right. Before we get out of here, I know Drake's got plenty of things to do. Oh yes. He is now a Titans writer, a 
Nashville SC writer. I wouldn't be surprised to see him at the uh, at Nashville Super Speedway in June. He's gonna be everything, man. He's gonna do hey, everything. if you He'll see me press. at the Super Speedway, if you see me at the Super Speedway, uh, just check on me. Just check oh, on I me. And see how you know, I'm that, doing. You know, that's my kind of place. I I, I love me some some. I'm, I'll be there for all three races if I can be. I'll be in a very I'll be in a very unfamiliar habitat. So just check on me. <laughs> all right. Before we leave, guys, before we leave Drake Hills, give me your team MVP. I think that's going to be pretty easy, but you picked the wrong choice last time. Let's see if you picked the wrong choice this time. I'm going Randall Leal. <laughs> just I knew because, you picked just, the wrong choice. Just, just because Walker just to mess Zimmerman with you. Just to mess so with you. He's so pissed right now. Look, for no reason. Walker Zimmerman. Why? Walker Zimmerman. I could have picked. I could have picked him. Thanks for Randall Leal was the MVP this year. I could have picked him with my eyes closed. The thinks that. I could have picked him with my eyes closed. I'm trying to stir the pot. Obviously, Walker Zimmerman was the most valuable player, literally, for this National Z team. And maybe for any team in, in MLS. I would argue that. I'd argue that. He was, bar none, the best trade, the best acquisition in this MLS season. 100%. Was worth every – but and probably more so – I am giving you a skip, <laughs> skip and sharp, skip and Shannon, whatever that show is called. Shannon and the, skip. Yeah, undis- undisputed. What is it called? Yeah, it's called the undisputed, yeah. but I, but I don't, I think Shannon and skip is, is we're trying to refer Shannon sharp and skip Bayless here. Uh, <laughs> you're going to be skip Bayless. I'm Shannon sharp. I'm going to pick something to steer but, your pot. I don't hate LeBron James. Number one. I don't. I definitely don't like the Dallas Cowboys, and I watch soccer, which I'm sure Skip Bayless does not do. You think Colin Cowherd watched soccer? We're going way off topic now. I don't know. That's a good question. He, I mean, what from the Pacific Northwest, right? Yeah, he's from Seattle. He's from Washington. Not, not that everybody from the Pacific Pacific Northwest likes soccer at any stretch, but. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy that talks about it openly, especially about if you were. I'm sure you talked about the Sounders or anything. But, uh, you know, I guess maybe when USC football and the NFL doesn't interrupt, maybe he catches a game or two. I don't. I doubt it, though. You know what I look forward to the 2021 season, Nick? What's that? I have very little belief that it'll come. Uh-oh. But what happens to the U.S. Open Cup? Oh man, that's so sad that Nashville SC wasn't able to uh, to, to face that. They, it, you know, who knows? Maybe they uh, get a. I, uh, man, I didn't even think about the U.S. Open Cup as a chance to win a trophy. This would have been a fun, you know. Imagine for a team that has a manager, for a team that has a manager that certainly is a one-off game planning manager. He is a really right. good one-game game planner. Would have been nice. Sorry for yeah. the tongue twister, but Gary Smith knows how to prepare for a one game off. And a guy who was one one and zero against did he? Trying to think, two years ago in the MLS, U.S. Open Cup, I cannot remember what happened, but I know he's already beaten one MLS team in the U.S. Open Cup. Could he beat more? Could he beat anybody else? That'd be. Wasn't Colorado question. Rapids? Wasn't the Rapids? Colorado Rapids at Vanderbilt Stadium. Boy, oh boy. The no, stories you could I could tell about that game and the aggravation from the rapid staff. But that's neither here nor there. We're going to wrap it up, guys. Thank you yes, so much sir. for listening. I want to probe your thoughts. Please. I want to take your hot takes, your observations, your comments, your assessments. He's going to steal them, guys. He's going to steal them. Don't do it. No, not on them. Nashville SC. Not on Nashville SC. Of us. Of Nick and I, what do you want to see for the 2021 season? What do you want to see for me? What do you want to see in, the, in our coverage? Tell us. Email us. Drake.Hills. Both are capitalized. At Tennessean.com. Hit me on yes. Twitter. Live Life Drake. Send me a DM. DMs are open. Let us know what you want to see. What players you want to hear from. What stories you want us to tell. We're here for you. Nashville SC fans. We're signing off for 2020. But happy for New Nick, Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. All of that. Advent. But for 2020, I've been Drake Hills. 
your Tennessean Nashua C beat writer, producer Nick, a.k.a. Nick Gray, signing off. This is Plugged In, a Nashville soccer podcast. <laughs>